Hello and welcome to the All Bets Are Off podcast. My name is Ryan and I'm your host. Before we get into it, I really wish to thank you for checking us out and giving us a listen. Obviously, if you are here and you're having difficulties with problem gambling, perhaps pre-recovery or you feel that you're at risk or just at a really low ebb, then please, please feel free to reach out. Trust me, there are plenty of people on your side, including I, along with my co-hosts Chris, Kelly and Kish. There are also many support groups available, including Gamcare and Gamblers Anonymous, among many, many others. We are all one big community, and so anyone who reaches out automatically becomes part of that family. There really is just so much support out there, so please don't suffer in silence. We're in it together. Keep the faith. Let's crack on with the pod. Welcome to the first half of the season finale of the All Bets Are Off podcast. Across this two-part episode 12, we will be featuring nine different guests and linking those discussions to a journey in recovery, sort of like a storyboard type of a podcast. We'll be covering everything from the basics of blockers, Gamblers Anonymous, therapy and well-being, residential treatment, finances and physical fitness and mental health. Later in the show, we'll be joined by Bernie, a Gamblers Anonymous leader and mainstay, to talk about the fellowship, as well as Katie Reynolds-Jones from Gamstop and Josh Mon, an expert in CBT and well-being. Before that, however, we speak with Jamie Smith from Problem Gambling Northern Ireland, who himself only came into recovery not too long ago. His story is one of the many, many reasons as to why we do the podcast, to try and persuade people to come out of a destructive cycle and those later on down the road continuing on with their recovery journeys thank you for finding the time to come and speak to us today jamie Uh, the first of our long list of guests for our season finale it's very brave of you to come on and open up about your gambling addiction firstly jamie can you tell us a little bit about you and your gambling journey Uh, where did it all begin and what transpired Hi guys, thanks for thanks for having me on. Um, gambling for me is 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 been I'm 23 years of age, so gambling for me has always been a way of a way of life. Um, since I was 15, 16, I've been totally um obsessed for the last seven or eight years. Um, about gambling really. Um, the first sort of two years of 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 my gambling from really uh 16 to 18, if you like, was was done in the bookies. Um, on the on the high street, uh, simply because I couldn't get um an online account or get online to obviously set one up legally. So, um, all my bookies, all my betting was really done in, in the bookies. Um, going back, I can remember being in school, um, GCSE year, uh, leaving school at the at the last bell and sprinting into town to get um to get a two pound or three pound accumulator on for the football that would have been on that night. Um, and that's really how how it all started for me. It started off actually with a win, like most of our gambling does. Um, I think I got a forty four pound win off a two pound five team accumulator on the football, and that was me. Um, that was me really hooked from day one. Um, it started off um, being every Saturday. Um, every Saturday turned into a Tuesday and Saturday, which turned into a Saturday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And then suddenly you find yourself every day of the week um, doing an accumulator on the craziest leagues in the world on a Monday night and a Thursday night. There's not much football on anywhere else. Um, 
and yeah, really from there, it, it, for, from 16 to 17, it would be maybe what you would call quite innocent. As I said, it was all on the football, wasn't interested in, in horse racing, wasn't interested in dog racing or anything else that was going on um, really in the boogies at that time. The only thing I was interested on was going in, placing a £2 or £3 bet, being, getting it over the counter without being asked for ID. Um, luckily enough, over here, I'm, I'm I'm six foot one, and from about fifteen, I was about six foot. I haven't grown much since, so um, there was not too many people stopped me and asked me for ID. So it was, um, it was great. But yeah, as I say, from, from that first year, sixteen and seventeen, it was all innocent, if you like, all football. Um, and then I just remember being in the boogies one day, and a, and a guy stopped me and asking. Um, I think it was the time of a horse race, and I had to look up at the screen and 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 tell him the time. Um, and I just remember then looking at it and being fascinated by all these horses running at all these different places at different times. And again, not really having a clue about it. Um, started to dive dive into that, and and probably from seventeen to eighteen became quite addicted to to research. Not as much the gambling side of it because I didn't have as much money at that time. I was I was working part time, but. Um, didn't have as much financial backing by me, but I um, spent a hell of a lot of time researching, became obsessed with, with facts and figures about jockeys, about trainers, about what horses had ran where, what times they were running, course and distance, all that sort of stuff. Um, I would say I probably became addicted to research before I became addicted to the gambling um, side of it. And then for me, uh, sort of got into... 18 years of age and, and at 18 set up my first my first gambling account um online um and again it was just it was the fact that i didn't have to walk to the bookies i didn't have to no one had to see me no one had to speak to me i could do it all in the comfort of my own home at the time i was living with my parents at 18 so i could go up to my bedroom and sit for five or six hours in the evening not bothering them because i'm not causing them any trouble by being up in my room but um, and simply gamble all, all all night long if I wanted to. And I remember being 18 and sitting up all night um, just just gambling. And it was on anything, um, horses, dog racing, uh, football in all countries. Uh, horse racing was in every country. Um, and it was sort of there that I, I sort of found the casino side of it. Um, you know, so sports betting got to the point where it, it didn't really do it for me. Um Looking back now, it's clear to see why. You know, you don't get that result and that fix until after 90 minutes or until a horse race is, is done, where I was able to jump on blackjack, jump on roulette, um, turn a table, turn a card, and, and you had an instant result. Um, again, online, it probably started off quite innocently, and the fact of it was it was small stakes for me. Um, uh, in terms of the the casino side of it, um, and then I remember one day um, at eighteen, this sort of thing it was legally allowed to go into the bookies. It's something you've done for years, but there was a buzz off being legally allowed to go in. Um, so I went into the bookies and, and done a bet, and I remember seeing a, a FOBT machine, um, the the casino machines in the in the bookies, and I and I put I think it was two pound or three pound in it that day. Um, got to a tenner, took it out. And as soon as I got home, I couldn't wait to get back down to play it. And that was the truth. It just it just had me the noise, the color, touchscreen, these you know these fancy screens, all the different types of games and sounds. And it was instant wins. It was it was you know every twenty seconds, as we know, up to a hundred pound until a year ago, every twenty seconds. And by the time I was you know when I think really a year later at nineteen years of age, I was I was gambling a hundred pound spins. You know, every twenty seconds, um, consistently, um, 
you know, for me, uh, being, a, as you sort of said there, how did it transpire? You know, probably until I was 18, it was quite innocent because I didn't have the money to gamble. You know, I didn't have the the huge amount of resources to waste a lot of money. Um, it was only really when I turned um, 19, just to, just to turn 19, I got my first full-time job. Um, had always an ambition to go to university and do well in school, but um, it never tra- it never it never transpired. Um, looking back now, I know why it didn't because I was I was spending more time in the bookies than I was in the classroom, and that's that's the truth. But um, at nineteen, got a got a job. I applied for a job one night, um, sitting in my room. That one of them things that you think I'm never going to get this, um, and the next day you get a phone call and say, yeah, can you do an interview? I've done the interview, you get a phone call the next day, can you start on Monday? So it was great, you know, I think in right, finally getting life up and running. This is this is the real world, jumping into nine to five, Monday to Friday, um, over here in Northern Ireland, Belfast, in the city centre, you know, loving the buzz. And um, first month the paycheck comes through. Um, I was I was doing really, really well in terms of my age. I was earning quite um, a lot of money for my age. I was living at home, so, you know, I had plenty of disposable income. I didn't have any bills. Um so there was only one place that money was going to go. You know, the, the, the small innocent stakes that had been for the last maybe year and a half suddenly turned into, um, they just got bigger and bigger over time. Um, and it wasn't really long between sort of 19, 20, 21. And, and over them years, I started to earn more money. I was in a sales job. Um, so I was earning more money. I learned the role. I became good at my job. I became, you know, good at selling. Um, and I made more money. And that just meant that there was only you know one person who was going to benefit from me earning that and that was the bookmakers um so online uh fobts in the shops um in the bookies they all made a, a hell of a lot of money off me sort of from 19 to 22 um i racked up huge gambling debts um over 40 grand um in payday loan debts um within then payday loans were probably within six months at a current time where I had exhausted all avenues in terms of credit cards, in terms of bank loans, um, and I turned to payday loans to, to try and basically live month to month because, as I said, my, my wage was um, was gambling. Um, no one could have told me any different. Um, no one could have came and said, like, let me try and save money. That wasn't in my mind. Feeding myself at lunchtime wasn't the first thing in my mind. The first, the first thing I'd done when it was lunchtime or break time and work was hundred yards across the road was was a Ladbrokes and I would have been the first person in in the morning and the last person in at night before I got the train home and um soon racked up the gambling debt it got into you know, I would I would say if I look back now being twenty three you know I go back over what gambling has cost me uh, it would definitely be in six figures uh, there, there's no doubt about it um a lot of money um has been lost probably uh what had done to me from twenty two to to the present day. Um, I've been been off a bet now, coming on seven months from the start of December. But what it done to me over um, a one year period there was um, completely destroyed me mentally. You know, made a a little boy out of me. Really, um, I was in a place where I never ever want to go back to. And I, and you know, the reason I'm doing this is to 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 try and get the message out there. I don't want anyone to feel the way I felt. Um, it, the second that that what I always call the second part of my gambling because from twenty two to twenty three, um, that's when I really really, it got really really dark, um, and obviously the 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 potential to cause harm to myself, which I which I tried to do on two separate occasions, um, 
one time I, I failed and the second time I couldn't do it sober. So I thought um, if I fill myself up with enough alcohol and get in the car and, and, and basically put the car off the road, I'll have a good chance of doing it. Um, I did that unsuccessfully. It, it, it didn't take me own life, thankfully, looking back now, but um, it did land me in a spot of bother. I've currently serving a driving ban and, and obviously um, that has an effect on everyday life now. But looking back, it's potentially one of the best things that's ever happened in my life in, in a way as well, which is, I suppose, strange to say. Hey, Jamie, Chris here. Um, thanks for sharing that with us, Jamie. Um, I can really relate to a lot of what you said there, you know, being a compulsive gambler myself and well done on that seven months first of all that you've been off of a vet now um but i do believe there was a time when you actually thought that you could make a career out of gambling am i, am I right in thinking that yeah from from really um from 18 um, <clears throat> i'd always had this idea as a kid um i was heavily involved in, in, in football played football all my life my family's been involved in football a long long time and i always used to see people doing their accumulators on a saturday and think don't know. you know it's so easy it would be so easy to win if i was able to do this and i remember having this fascination as young as thinking maybe 12 years old so when i when i started to hit 16 um and started doing my own but really from 18 to 21 it was when it got serious and i, and I think that's what maybe led to the stakes being up um you know getting more and more money putting on on bets because i generally thought that i could make enough money to to quit my job and have a, a solid income um through gambling um had thought about business ideas and thought about how i could teach people how to gamble you know i think that's how diluted and, and that's you know at an, even at that early stage that's where gambling was bringing me to yeah and interestingly i mean i you, i picked up early you were talking about the research and doing the research on the jockeys and the horses and all that kind of stuff and i guess from doing that from doing that kind of stuff is that what led you down that kind of feeling that you know what i could make some money as a career here because i'm actually investing some effort or was it more do you think just the type of um gambling you were doing so the fixed odds betting terms for example drawing you in so which one do you think it is or is it a combination of the two um i would probably say a combination of both um I'd be the first one to admit now that I have a very, very addictive personality. So, um, you know, if you give me something, I'll put, I'll put my absolute all into it. Unfortunately, the first thing I came across was gambling, so I put my all into it, and that involved the, you know, the research side of it. Um, and I, I do think the, the, you know, the the tease machines and the and the bookies as well, the sort of quick money that could be made on them. You know, I I used to think at one point, at, at probably twenty years of age, when I was earning really good money in my, in my job. You know, when the stakes really did get up into the, the sort of four figures, um, crazy amounts of money on, on online roulette that I thought, you know, I only really have to play this for five minutes because if, if I hit lucky on this first spin, I'm out of here. You know, I've earned enough money to do me this week. That's me out of here. Five minutes work. You know, there's not many people can say they go to work for five minutes and I'll earn this amount of money. And But that's that's the sort of fascination and, and the um, obsession that I had. And I think it does come from the, the addictive personality that I have. Um, which you know i'm obviously trying to do stuff in recovery that's that's putting that um obsession um an addictive personality into something good and hopefully that will be um fruitful hi jamie um it's kish here um a lot of what you just said reminded me of my dad um um actually about how um how you how you felt like you could make um sort of a quick book um and you know solve your week's problems um in just a handful of minutes um, I remember my dad saying things like that. Um, and actually, I've, I've got another question that sort of came from uh, um, inspiration from my dad, actually. Um, I think you, you've said before that there was a, 
actually a time where you you got off the gambling at the age of 21 to 22 um, for around six months. And yeah, that, that's what I mean. My dad also um, had some time off gambling. Um, so I wanted to ask what, what sparked this and have you come to terms with how how that was and how, is it that you have, you felt powerless to gambling in, in that time and um, and in battling your addiction um, and and were you supported in that time? Did you seek medical help or did you visit support groups or things like Gamblers Anonymous? Yeah, from 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 twenty one to twenty two, I was I was six months off a bit. Um, to be honest, at, at twenty one, the stages were the, the first day that I stopped gambling at twenty one. Um, you know, having for every day for the the sort of four or five years previous gambled, but. Um, it wasn't me who who came to anybody and said I need help. Um, my partner found out, uh, girlfriend found out at the time, and um, basically it was it was look, you need to get help. This is crazy, you know. Someone else looking in at the at the numbers and going, you really need to get help. Um, so yeah, listen, family, close family knew. Um, I told them about it. You know, very close family. Um, started going to to Gamblers Anonymous. Never seek medical help. Um, even going to GA the first time was a was something that I I, I felt embarrassed about. Um, something that I thought the people in there were were nobodies and and I didn't want to be part of it. Um, the truth is, looking back now, two 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 and a half years, I'll be twenty four next week. So, yeah, two two and a half years down the line, um, I didn't want help that time. I wasn't ready to to stop gambling. Um, somebody got in my way. Um, somebody tried to stop me um try to get me help but i didn't want to help myself and and i think any of us any any addiction it doesn't matter what it is it's the first thing that you've got to want is to help yourself um because if you truly want to help yourself the help's there and you can you can um you can you can get it but yeah i was i was six months off and, and during that six months i probably became agitated that people were aware um certainly close family obviously were aware that i was a, a problem gambler i was a gambling addict didn't trust me with money. Um, didn't trust me to go to the shop to get a pint of milk. If I'm being honest, um, and I probably became more frustrated at that, like the frustration of being caught. You know, I was sorry I had been caught. I wasn't sorry about the amount of money um, and different things like that. So I started to to, to speak to debt companies um, about my, my payday loan debt, which I mentioned obviously was was sitting in around forty k at the time. Um, that's not even including credit card debt, bank loan debt. But I started to speak to a, a a debt charity about them. But again, I only done that really to to please people. I didn't do that for myself. I didn't want to help myself at that point. I done that to say, look, look what I've done, ticking the box. Um, and I remember they done a they done a plan with me and said, look, you know, we can pay all this back. It's going to cost X amount over the next like six or seven years. Um, you know, you can be debt free. And I sort of thought, right, okay. Um, paid the first month's payment and then got hold of my bank account, cancelled the direct debit and, and told everybody it was continuing to be paid. So, you know, and then within six months, I'd found a way to to gain access to cash because at that time, my bank accounts were obviously being closely monitored. So the online side of it, it just couldn't happen. I would have been caught too easy. So um, I was getting a little bit of cash here and there for going to work, um, getting my lunch, different things. And slowly but surely, um, started to get back into to gambling again. Um, and and really, the, the, what got me back in? Um, I said there always was the want. I al- I always knew that I could never get back into it, maybe the way I wanted to, which was the big stakes. Um, but what got me in was certainly the quick fixes. You know, the, the fob these machines back in the shops. 
And I remember actually going in at the first the first time after that six months, the very first day, and I seen them. And I'd obviously been in the news that they were going to be reduced from a hundred pound to a two pound stake. And I remember thinking, do you know what? I'm going to be okay here because they're going to reduce it to two pounds, so that'll rule out rule out the sort of big stakes. So that that their obsession I have with big stakes, it'll just wear off. So that'll sort that out. And then I, I basically came to a point in my head where I thought I can be, I can gamble and be safe. You know, I can be like any normal person who places a bet. You know, a, a normal gambler. Um, and then within over the next eighteen months from that stage, um, as I said previously, it completely destroyed me. Um, mentally, physically, emotionally. Um, you know, it it just it, it broke me down. Obviously, the two suicide attempts aren't something that um I'm enormously proud of, but they've happened and they're part of the story. And I think it's important that I share them. You know, I, I, certainly that that first one they happened within four days of each other. Um, the first one I, I visited the family just that day to, to come to, to peace with myself really um, and, and jumped in to, to, the, to the car and, and headed up to where it was going to happen um, I've, got, I've got some dogs which, which to be honest uh, it sounds stupid saying this but my dogs have probably kept me alive because that day I was leaving I bring my dogs everywhere with me that day I planned obviously um, to leave them um, and they barked and barked and barked as I attempted to get into the car so uh, I went and got the dogs, put them in. I've got four dogs, so I put them into the into the van and headed up and just thought, right, I'll let them run about here. And you know, I, I, but I need to go. You know, I, I can't stay here anymore. The hurt of caused people. You know, gambling had just completely broke me down as a man. Um, and I was ready to go, but just some thought in my head. I just thought I can't leave them up here. You know, it was it was a cold, wet December's night. I just thought, I can't leave the dogs up here. You know, we used to being in the house and different things. So I thought, look, I'll get them home. And I'll I'll have a think over the next couple of days. So that was a Tuesday, and I got home, um, put the dogs away. Um, girlfriend came back from work, acted like everything was normal, um, and and had a think about what to do next. And on the Wednesday, um, got up the next morning. First thought was right, let's get to the boogies. Let's let's let you know everything's okay. The belief was everything's okay, life's good. Get to the boogies. Let's see how today goes. Um, whatever money I had for that day, I lost it. Thursday, whatever money I had for that day, I lost it. And again, it just, it just, I just felt that every time I went in, it was handing money over. I had no control over my own body anymore. It was a really strange experience. Um, I got to the Friday, and I went in. The boogies were fifteen pound. Had a ten pound note and a five pound note, and I took the ten pound note out and I said, "Okay, I'm going to gamble with this." I put a fiver in my back pocket and said, "Right, that is to get my dinner today because I haven't eaten lunch for three days now." Um, so I, I placed the bets as, as, as normal, um, lost the money. And then the next thing I found myself writing a bet slip for a fiver with the fiver that was meant to have for lunch. And I, I just froze at the bookmakers in the center of Belfast. There could have been close to a hundred people in it. Um, a massive bookies there. And, um, I just froze on the spot and I started to, to cry, um, again, I had no, I had no control over it. I just started to cry and the guy came out over to me. Who, who was behind the counter and he said, look, are you okay? I said, eh, no, not really. And he just says, look, uh, um, why don't you go out and get some air? Um, and, and as I was on my way out, he actually said to me, do you want, do you want me to place this bet for you? I said, no, look, just, just let me go out. But I remember walking back to the office that day, just just, just thinking, well, this, this is it, it has to end. Um, I've become powerless to this disease and uh, it's, 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 it's taken me. At that point, I was... I made the decision on the Saturday evening that I was going to 
as I say, um, drink as much alcohol as I can and, and basically take the van and put it off the road and hope that I hit a couple of big things that would that would do the job. Um, came off the road that night through a hedge, um, missed a tree. I hit, sorry, I hit a tree um, and the passenger side of the van was wiped out by a tree and then I hit a fence. And I remember sitting in the van that night after the crash um, and crying, not crying because of what happened, crying because I, I hadn't done it, I'm still here. Um, and then obviously got um, the drunk drive charge. Obviously the police came out and done what they had to do. But, you know, even going into the Sunday or the following day, still really, really annoyed that I hadn't done it. You know, that I hadn't um, taken my own life, that I was still here, that I had all these problems to deal with. And I actually got to the point where I thought, you know, you're that much of a, a card and that much of a hopeless wreck that you can't even take your own life. You know, that that's where I got to on the Sunday. Um on the Monday, um, I just got up with a different attitude and thought, do you know what? I went out and actually seen the crash. And I remember having some emotion out there and, and seeing how close I was to the tree, seeing the state of the van and thinking, you know what? Somebody somewhere is saying you've got a second chance. Somebody somewhere is saying that you've got a chance to help yourself, firstly, and get yourself back on track and be honest with people, but also to um, to possibly help others. Um, but I knew from that Monday morning, um, December 9th, I think it was, that somebody was looking over me. There's no doubt about it. And I have a second chance at, at this thing we call life and, and trying to um, trying to lead a better one because it's certainly from 16 years of age, the last seven years I went by in a flash. Um, and, and that's because of gambling. And I need to get myself in the straight and narrow was the thoughts that day and, and, and kick off a new life. It's sort of the first day of, of my life. Thanks for that, Jamie. Wow, that's um, that's incredibly powerful. Thanks for sharing the, your your life story there, your gambling story, and I think it's so incredibly important that you share about these uh, suicide attempts because that is where gambling can take us. I I totally understand what you're saying. I can understand that thought after you know trying to commit suicide, trying to you know making that attempt, and then you still being there at that time thinking, "No, I'm a coward. Why couldn't you know? Why did it not happen?" and it's it's crazy how our minds work, but I'm so thankful that that next day you woke up and you thought, I've got this chance, there's somebody looking over me. And I, I, I totally get that. I had that feeling as well. And I went to GA, just like you mentioned GA there. And when I first went, I thought, now, who are these people going to be? And you know, when I turned up, actually, it was a bunch of great people, men and women who are just from all different sorts of life. And, you know, they've had the same problem as me um, and I'm so thankful that you you found this recovery now Jamie it, it's fantastic and and just on that I mean obviously you've recently set up um, ProbGam NI um, I guess Problem Gambling Northern Ireland um, so you know can you tell us a little bit more about that you know the idea behind it and what you hope to achieve with it yeah it all it all stems back really till till December 9th and, and that Monday morning getting out of bed and, and looking at myself in the mirror and, and having a second chance and, and deciding then I was going to give life a really good go. You know, I just thought I have nothing to lose here. I don't have anything, so I can't lose anything. Um, but it really came from there. I had a thought, um, get yourself sorted first. And, and really when this whole COVID thing hit back in March, it had been playing on my mind that you know I was doing quite well. And from day one, I'd said I was going to be open with everyone about my gambling. Um, uh, I got my family together. I told them. I told every member of my family this time. I told my friends. I put it on, on social media, on my, my personal social media pages that I had a gambling issue that I was going back into the GA. Um, you know, I didn't hold back with, with the first time of the gambling because I didn't want to be caught out. 
I didn't want to tell anybody because I sort of thought if I can get back to it, then I can sort of just fit in with, with that lifestyle again. But I told everyone this time and yeah, really from, from the COVID period in March, it had been playing in my mind that, you know, I was doing quite well and I maybe got a chance of, um, of, of maybe having something and, and, and being, being able to help people. So, um, Really, it, it sort of came from that. It's played on my mind, and I've, it's one of them things where I've sort of thought, I can't do it. You know, who's going to listen to me? Who's who's going to take on board what I'm saying? Is anyone actually going to be interested? And yeah, I just took the plunge um, a couple of weeks ago. Got a page set up. Um, got a bit of a logo that going, um, and and that's really where Prob Game Prob Game and I came from. I say the name was there from day one. Uh, I remember the first day, day one of of not having a bet was. One day I'm gonna have Prob Gam and I and um the ambition really is is to is if I can get the opportunity to go into schools, um, sports clubs, community groups, you know, whatever it may be and share my story. I think I've got a, a unique story for that eighteen to twenty four year old age group, which I believe is massively affected by problem gambling, by, you know, the industry and how it coaxes that age group in through, you know, advertisements and you know, you only have to look at the Premier League. See how many teams are sponsored, how many stadiums are sponsored by by betting firms. So you know it's it's out there, um, and I think you've got a very vulnerable generation that are about to break through, and and I just want to be someone who can share my story and hopefully stop um, them from going down really the same path, uh, really as what I did, um, and doing the same things. And uh, you know people sometimes listen to to stories from from former Alex, and as you say, suicide's a massive part of it. Sometimes I just don't think. Um, enough people out there you know really understand how deepness that it brings you to and i'm just hopeful that me being quite young 23 soon to be 24 that you know maybe by speaking to them 18 19 year olds that they can say look that guy's only a couple of years older than me and you know he was nearly not here so um that's the plan behind it um as i say when i say there's a plan there's not really a plan we just take it day by day it's, it's going quite well um as i mentioned before i have an addictive personality so it's it's all or nothing really um, you know, I'll give this absolutely everything. I'll give this as much as what I did to gambling and, and researching horses and football teams and countries that people have never even heard of. But yeah, I'll give it a rattle and see where it goes. And, and hopefully one day I can maybe get in front of a school assembly or a sports club, community group, whatever it may be, and just be able to, to spread the message of, of what gambling can, can lead to, really. Thanks for that, Jamie. Uh, happy birthday for next week, by the way. Although by the time that this goes out to the wider audience, you will be 24 years of age. I can certainly relate to you regarding uh, the first bet on a personal level. I can still recall my first big uh, gambling fix at the age of 17 other than a few quid on the football. And that was on the uh, FOBT where you know I made close to, close to a grand in a few minutes. And from that moment, I was hooked and uh, later uh, likewise entering credit agreements, but not sticking to them. Uh, thanks for coming on and chatting to us today uh, Jamie really appreciate it uh, loads of really powerful stuff in there and I'm really glad that you're still uh, obviously still with us uh, to share your story and all the best with the problem gambling Northern Ireland venture thanks for that Jamie that was truly inspirational um, now next on the podcast we've got Bernie now I met Bernie a little over two and a half years ago at my first GA meeting in fact, it was at one of the meetings that Bernie has set up. Um, Bernie's been in GA for 46 years and he keeps coming back. And he keeps coming back because it works. Um, it works for me, it works for him, and I've seen it work for many others. Now, my first meeting, I'll never forget Bernie saying, 
GA is a lifetime. This is a lifetime commitment. You don't come here for six weeks and get cured. You keep coming back. Well, I've kept coming back. And I'll tell you what, from that first time I heard it, when that seemed a little bit difficult to comprehend, I'm now so thankful. I look forward to my meetings every week. I love it. I love talking to the guys and the girls outside of the meetings. I love the fellowship that it's brought to me. I love the fact that if I have a problem, there's always somebody I can pick up the phone and talk to. I love the fact that I can sponsor other newer members. I love it when a new member comes in and I think, wow, they're where I was. And they're desperate. They truly don't believe they can get past this addiction. But then they see myself and they see Bernie. They see all the other members of our group. And suddenly, like what happened to me, they think, well, this is certainly my um, experience anyway. This is what I thought. I thought, wow, there are people here who understand me. They understand my mind. Now, I'd never had that before. I didn't know why I gambled. Um, and in some respects, I still don't exactly. Although, you know, I understand I had a lot of fear and I covered up emotions. I didn't know how to talk. I didn't know how to express myself. Well, now I have every week an opportunity to go and express myself, share, you know. If I share what's going on in my mind, good or bad, it, it means I can live a wonderful life. And it's a wonderful life that I'm living now. This is the life that I would have always wanted. Um, you know, happy family life with my beautiful wife, my two children, brothers, sister-in-laws, parents, everyone on board, everyone, you know, everyone kind of appreciate me for who I am. And they always did, but I couldn't see it. Um, GA's brought this to me, but not only that, Bernie set up a lot of these GA meetings over, over the years. Um, over 46 years, actually, Bernie's been in GA now. Um, but along with his wife, Hillary, he's also set up many Gammonon meetings. Now, Gammonon is so important. That's where friends and family members of compulsive gamblers can get the support that they need. Firstly, it helps them understand the compulsive gambler. But, you know, I think more importantly, it gives them a fellowship. It gives them other people to talk to as well um, when they're going through tough times and good times. It works in much the same way as the GA room. You know, a new member's wife, husband, sibling, friend turns up in despair. And there are people there who've gone through it before. People who've gone through it and can share their experiences um, around, you know, what was tough and what they've done to get through it. So, you know, I think I've said enough there. I love GA and I love the guys coming on this podcast right now. So without further ado, here's Bernie. The first Gamblers Anonymous meeting was held way back in September 1957 and found its way to British shores several years later in 1964. Over the years it has provided help, support and hope to millions of lives worldwide. For this segment of the show we've been joined by Bernie, who himself has been a fundamental part of that journey, having got involved with GA 46 and a half years ago. He's someone I've known personally for the last two and a half years and you know he's an inspiration to to many. Um, he brings people into this fellowship. He set up many meetings and, you know, he's, a, he's just a wonderful guy. So firstly, Bernie, thank you for joining us. Can I start by asking just how important a part of your life is this fellowship of men and women? It's more than important. It's been a, a whole part of my life. Um, without GA, I wouldn't be where I am today. It's been an amazing journey. It's been a journey that I would say to the stars and back. It's been fantastic. You know, I started 46 years and a half ago, a broken man, okay. um, 
didn't know where I was coming. Okay. And what GA has done for me, okay, I cannot even begin to tell you. But what the thing that I love now is helping other people. Okay. My whole life is helping other people. Just to give you a quick example, just a quick one. I get a phone call this this week um, and I never answer if it's not a name. It's the first time I answered this without a name. And a guy came on and I thought it was somebody from GA. Okay. And he said, oh, he said, can you help me? He said, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know what to do. I, I'm going to commit suicide. And, and, and I started talking for an hour. Okay. And I gave him all the Zoom numbers and I haven't heard from him. Nothing, nothing. And you know, the most amazing thing is I, I was talking to a GA member, okay, and he said he went to Bishop Stalford the other night and he mentioned that he, he had this guy on the phone that spent an hour and he couldn't believe for the first time in his life that people understood, somebody understood him that has never understood him before, okay. And you know what? I felt like I, I felt I was going over the moon. How for me that is something you know. I don't want glory. I don't want to see all this. All I want to do is help people now. That's my main aim is to help people, and it's such a wonderful thing. I'm so proud, okay, to be a part of uh, Brentwood Group, okay, because when I first came in to uh, Brentwood, which I opened Brentwood Group, okay, all these people that were coming in, okay, you know, absolutely gone, completely gone. And to see them today after five years, six years, it's an amazing thing. Absolutely amazing. You know, now, you know, they got married, they're having babies, their business is improving, their work's improving, all through GA. Okay. And it's it's such a wonderful feeling to know that young people, okay, that come into GA, um, have done such great things. Really is. Yeah, thanks, Bernie. And you talk of Brentwood there, and that's the first room that I came into. And, you know, it's changed my life. And I'm thankful for you for opening it, but also for everybody who turns up every week. And, you know, we all help each other out. It's just a wonderful fellowship. Um, and touching on that as well, Bernie, um, I'm lucky enough to know Hilary, your wife. And what you and Hilary have both done is you've not only opened GA rooms, but you've also opened Gammonon rooms as well. And I know my parents go to Gammonon, my wife does, and I know lots of other family members do as well. So it helps um, the family members understand the gambler, but also I think more importantly, really help each other when we put all of the stuff on to them that we've had, you know, we've made ourselves feel better by saying, I'm a gambler, here's my problems. They take all that on and they're there to support each other. I wondered if you could just tell us a little bit more, Bernie, about Gammonon and what yourself and Hilary have done with it. Absolutely. Uh, Henry started Brentwood Gammon on nine years ago. Okay. Um, it's amazing because the first six weeks we never saw anybody. Okay. And she said, well, you know, I'll come when you phone me, I'll come in. But all of a sudden we had two young people coming with their families. Okay. And that's how it started. Gammonon is as important as GA. It's as important. It is neck and neck okay because the reason why gammon is so important when families come into that it could be the husband it could be the wife it could be the friend okay it could be the brother okay but what they don't understand when they come in it they're their lowest their absolute lowest okay can't get any lower okay and what happens is when they come to gammon okay um they start to learn 
not for the gambler. They're coming for themselves to understand how to live with a compulsive gambler. The important thing is how to live with one. And what happens, and this is interesting, okay, they get stronger, okay? And now with, with the little white lies that compulsive gamblers, they can't tell them because <laughs> all of a sudden they get wise and they know, you know, all of a sudden they say, oh, I haven't come home tonight because the, the, uh, I've had a tire that's burst. No, you haven't. Okay. So what I'm saying to you is, it is an amazing organizer. I'm very proud of my wife. Okay. I'm very proud of Hillary. Um, she's a very strong young lady. Okay. And, you know, um, I, I, this, this, the thing that's important, this is important. Okay. Uh, my age, I am today. Okay. Um, I'm 76. Okay. And the reason, okay, if I've got somebody that's 15, I will be 15. If somebody is 90 that comes into GA, I'm 90. Never be too big. Never be above yourself. Okay. It's very important. It doesn't matter if it's one day. Okay. If you've been 46 years, we're all the same. Okay. We're all the same. In that room, we're all the same. And Gamelon is the most amazing organiser. We are one of the biggest in, in, in England, in the world, Gamelon, in Brentwood. It's an amazing organisation. And your parents, you know, Chris, are absolutely amazing now. Okay, the turnaround in your parents are absolutely fantastic. Thank you. That's really good to hear, uh, Bernie. And uh, wanted to ask you, um, you know, you've personally given many talks in prisons and been across the, uh, the big pond and over to the States. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you've done there? In, in, 19, in, in 1969, I met an American. I drove a black London taxi in 1969. Okay. And I met an American in the cab and he started talking. And we started start talking about gambling and he was a compulsive gambler. Uh, I didn't realise, but he was a, quite high up, and I won't mention any names, but he was quite high up. And he invited me to America to give talks in Boston and in New York. And I thought, oh, I'm only going to see like 80 people or 70 people. In Boston was 2,000 people, uh, all gamblers and their families. And, you know, I stood on that stage, okay, and... It was the most proudest moment of my life, okay? And what I did is I got people to come up on the stage and start to do their therapies, okay? And we were inundated. And the interesting thing is, my family came with me, right? When I was younger then, my, my boy and girl. And they were asking them questions, how do you live with a compulsive gambler? Okay. Absolutely brilliant. And the other thing I must tell you is, is prisons, okay? People think our fantastic. Yes, they, they watch television in prison and everything's fine. Let me tell you something. I went to Chelmsford Prison, okay? And what they do is you open one gate, then you go into another gate, then you go into another gate, and then you come to this big round circle with, with okay, with two police. One has got like truncheons at the back sitting there with a gun, I believe it was. But, and I've got all these people sitting there, uh, GA members, okay, in front of me. And the atrocities, 70% of people in prison is through gambling and drugs, okay, 70%. And I try, you know, we have been successful, okay. I always say, you know, if we get one out of 100 from prison, we had a result. One out of 100 is a result, okay. And the other thing is schools. Okay? I've given lectures and, you know, People do not 
okay, give lectures in schools about gambling and finance. You know, uh, one of my businesses was finance. Right? And nobody gives young children, 15, 16, guidance on pensions, on finance. And this is why they go to gambling. Because what happens is lunchtime, okay, they go into a betting shop, okay, and they play on the machines, okay. I try to tell them, instead of putting that money into a machine, you can put that into a pension and put it into a bank, okay. And it is such a lovely thing. The only interesting thing is, is I had one group, okay, and I said, by well, any questions, I gave a therapy. I said, oh, any question? No one, no one answered. And all of a sudden, this boy in the corner said, oh, he said, my, my, my dad gambles, and, you know, sometimes we haven't got any food. Okay. I said, well, I said well, what do you mean? He said, well, he says, sometimes he shouts at my mother and he doesn't come home. And from that, then somebody else spoke, and then I got somebody else saying that he plays the football pool. So it's very important that GA members, after a little while, that can go to these places, to go to prisons, to give lectures, to go to schools to give lectures. It's a very important thing, okay? Because, you know, sometimes people go to prison, okay, uh, that shouldn't be there, okay? I'm not saying that people that shouldn't be there because if they had, if they had come to GA, okay, you know, if they would have come for the first place, they would not have to go to prison, okay? Um, you know, I am I am the kind of person that gives people chances. I've been to court many times. Uh, to, you know, I, I, just to give you one example, I know we've got, don't want to run out of time, okay? Just to give you one example. I, I, I had somebody that, uh, from GA, that went into a just just a quick one that went into a a, a girlfriend's house. She, the, the parents were there, and he stole fifty thousand pounds of jewellery. First time, never done anything before. Done that. Went to court. Okay, this is just the interesting part. He went to court. Okay, and I spoke. I spoke, but the inter the judge, okay, had learnt about GA. He learned about GA, and this is what's happening. Judges are learning okay, about GA, and he said, "I really appreciate you coming and speaking for him." And instead of getting two years, he got two years probation. Okay, so but I don't do that for everybody. You just can't come to GA for two months and think, "Oh, I'm coming to GA because he's going to get me off court." No. And just the last thing, sorry, the last thing is doctors. Doctors phone me up. Okay, they can't. You know, I had a phone call this week. Uh, from a doctor, they can't cope with compulsive gamblers. All they're going to do is give them pills. Okay, they don't know how to. So they phone me up. Okay, and I deal with that. Okay, so that is an important part. Okay, doctors don't know how to deal. Okay, with and now I had a meeting with my doctors. There's 14 doctors in our surgery, and I had a meeting, and now they briefed up on that side. Sorry, I know I've gone on, but it's important that you should know that. No, brilliant. That's a that's great, that Bernie, and I'm really glad that you touched on some of that stuff. Actually, you know about people deserving another chance. The fact that you know people are in prison who really aren't the kind of people who would be in prison if it wasn't the fact that they were gripped by this addiction. You know, we all know what that's like, and we all know what nice people we are when we're not. But we also know how we lie compulsively. It can be terrible when we're when we're in that addiction. So that's that's really important to mention. And also the healthcare bit that you mentioned there, I love that because. Um, as you know, Bernie, my dad worked in the healthcare sector, and uh, one of the things that I'm going to be doing 
um, probably after lockdown, um, is going and talking to a number of GPs in the area, hopefully 200, 300 is the plan, and that will be the way into the door. And then, like you say, get into surgeries, brief them up on what they what they need to understand. Because unfortunately, and as Kish will know, um, who's a medical student, we don't they don't touch upon um, gambling related harm and that in, in in medical school. So it's one of those things we've got to pick up on, I think. Um, but Bernie, thanks for everything you've said so far. What I'd really like to ask you, and you've mentioned the word therapy in GA, we give therapies. We go and sit in the chair and we, and we talk and we can talk about anything we like but we call that therapy and Bernie because you get listen to a lot of people you know I'd really love to hear a therapy from you you know I don't think we hear it enough and you've lived an incredible life Bernie you give a lot of people inspiration so if you'd feel comfortable would you give a therapy now yeah I'll, I'll, I'll give you a little one because I could go on for hours so I'm, I'll have to give you a short one okay um, m- my name's Bernie I'm a compulsive gambler uh, I was born and, and I'm, I just want to go into this, how I was born, because it's important. Okay, um, I was born in 1944, just before the war ended. We lived in the east end of London. Okay, we were very poor. Okay, and that was the east side of London in Petticoat Lane. And what happened is, is that my mother went into a baker's shop. Okay, to get some bread, and I was in the pram outside. And what happened is a V2 came over, and when a V2 came over from Germany. It, it whistled, and when it stopped, it came straight down. And what happened is it came straight down, blew me to smithereens, and half my head was hanging off. And by pure chance, an ambulance came along, okay, and I spent a year in hospital as a baby. So the reason why I'm saying this to you is I don't know if it affected my life to be a gambler. I don't know where a part of my life where it started to become a gambler. Was it when I was a baby? Was it when I was 15? I don't know. And that's just something that, that, that sticks in my mind. I loved gambling. I loved gambling. It was my life. You know, everything was second. Everything. Family, everything. Everything was second. Um, I loved going into, you know, going into the Greyhounds. I love, you know, the excitement. I love the lights going on, running round to the bookmakers, six to four, seven to four, you know, a fantastic and, and the traps open and the dogs come out and go on my son, go my son. It's a Greyhound for Christ's sake. I'm shouting out, go on my son. Incredible. Okay. It's when you come out, okay? It's when you come out, the sweat around the back of the neck. Where can I go? Oh, on it. I can't go now to my friends. I can't go there. Uh, I borrowed from my friends and I haven't paid them back. I can't go to my family because they don't want to know me anymore because I'm a scumbag, okay? Um, I, oh, I'll take a payday. Oh, I can't take a payday. I've taken 13. I'll take a second mortgage. This is how it goes on. Just think about how nuts we are. Okay? We can stand at a roulette table with a little white ball going round for seven hours standing there, okay? not going to the toilet because your number hasn't come up. And when you go to the toilet, your number comes up because you're a compulsive gambler. This is what happens. Let me just explain to people that's in, in, in financial trouble. Okay? 46 and a half years. In March the March the seventeenth, nineteen seventy-four, I was in a black hole, twenty foot deep. This black hole, I couldn't get out of it. Couldn't get out of this black hole. It, it was so deep. And what happened that day? God was there. It was there. What happened is a ladder, a ladder came down twenty feet, twenty feet. And what happened is I started climbing one step at a time. 
and this one got paid, and then I started climbing, and this one got paid. And then all of a sudden, I got to the top. It was the most amazing feeling. It's the first time in my life I saw the blue sky. Okay, I saw the trees had blossomed. It was amazing. And I started walking along. The grass was green. I've never seen green grass. And then all of a sudden, walking along, there was William Hill on the left. There was Labrooks on the right. There was this casino here. I didn't see them. I did for the first time in my life. And, and I must say to you, you know, you can have this wonderful life. You can have the life. I've been all over the world, okay? I've done everything. I've got everything out of not gambling that I wanted out of gambling, the big boat, the house, everything that I wanted. I've got out of gambling, you know, I haven't got out of gambling. I've got it from not gambling. And do you know, the thing is, is I try to, 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 to tell GA, I, I, I preach to GA, okay, if you stop gambling, it can't get any worse. It can only get better. It can only get better. And I'll, I'll end up, I know that I haven't got, I've only got a short time here, but as I say, I could go on because there's so much to say, but I, I must say this to you, okay, that without GA, okay, without GA, I wouldn't be in the position I am today. I came from the East End at 14 years old. I had to leave school because we were so poor. I couldn't read or write properly. Okay. And I became a successful businessman okay? through GA, all through GA. Okay. And, you know, people try to do it by themselves. 1% can do it out of 100. Okay. It can take, you know, this just, um, just one more thing. Okay? One more thing. I must tell you this. Okay. People say to me, why after 46 years, why do you still come to GA? You're cured. 46 years, why do you come? And I say there's two reasons why I come. Two reasons. The first reason, okay, well, is because if I don't come to GA, I stop tomorrow. Don't come to GA, I stop tomorrow, I'm cured. It may be three months, maybe eight months, maybe a year maybe 10 years, okay, I think, what's five pound? It's nothing. Five pound bet, it's nothing. That five pound leads to 10, 20, 1,000, 10,000 loans, second month. Do you want that misery, fellas? Do you want that? Or do you want the life that I've had? Do you want that? And I'll end up here, and I always end up with one, one thing. A million pounds in this pocket and a pound in this pocket. The million pound is for gambling, and that million pound, you want two million, you want four million, you want eight million, you want, you'll never stop because you can't win when you're winning and you can't win when you're losing. This pound, I earn with love, I work for it, and that pound becomes two pound, four pound, eight pound in the bank. It's a wonderful feeling. My name's Bernie, I'm a compulsive gambler, thank you. Oh, cheers, Bernie, thanks for that. It's brilliant, so passionate, so passionate, and I love the fact that you've just said there why you still come after 46 years and I remember when I first came in the rooms and you said you know this is for life and I think a lot of people at first think oh crikey for life I've got to do this I'm not going to get cured well you know let me tell all my all the listeners here you know I love going to GA I love my meetings I love the fellowship I've built I love the people I've met I love the fact that now I can help people you know Bernie's an inspiration of course that's why I've got him on this show today um but everyone in that room is an inspiration. Like Bernie says, it doesn't matter if you're off 46 years, it doesn't matter if you're off a day, two days. We're all in this together and we're all there to help each other. And it's the only place that I know of where you meet people who just want to help you. 
There's nobody trying to take your place. There's nobody trying to do better than you. You know, it really is wonderful. And thanks for that passionate therapy that you just gave there, Bernie. I mean, it really is wonderful. I'm sure our listeners will take a lot from it. And all I can say is, you know, thanks for opening Brentwood. It's got me where I am today. Um, but not just for Brentwood. Thanks for opening Gammonons. Thanks for everything you do. Thanks for sharing at the global convention the other day, which I listened to. You know, you're really active. And I think your example is great. And I hope more, more do like you do. You know, what I'd like to say is going to GA isn't about just stopping gambling. You go there to stop gambling. But the beauty is once you stop gambling, as Bernie said, things can only get better. Things get better because people change. We change to become more mature. We change to become people who make the right decisions. You know, once I went into GA, the day before I went to GA, I didn't feel like I had a choice. I had to gamble. I went into GA, I came out of my first meeting. I'd met people like me, people who understood me, understood my mind. And I suddenly thought, wow, I have a choice. I never need gamble again. And hopefully that will be what it's like for the rest of my life. I hope I never gamble again. I don't think I will, but I only don't think I will because I'm going to continue going to GA forever and I'm going to continue doing things like this podcast to get that message out there to help as many people as possible. Thanks, Bernie. It was a real privilege to have you on today. Thank you. Well, what a character Bernie is, isn't he? Even away from the recording, he was giving me a bunch of advice. An absolutely top bloke. I sure hope I get to go into a room with him one day. Now, upon realising that you have an addiction to gambling, perhaps even powerless, whether that be early on or maybe later on when hitting your rock bottom, one of the first things that you can do is start to put all of those blockers in place. One such blocker would be to use a product such as Gamster a free service that enables you to put controls in place to help restrict your online gambling activities for a period of your choosing up to five years. To learn a little bit more about this service, the team sat down and spoke with Gamstop's Head of Marketing and Communications, K.E. Reynolds-Jones. Roll the clip. Hi, Katie. Uh, thank you for agreeing to appear on the pod. We're delighted to have you on and to hear all about Gamstop. And I think that's where we should start off, really. Um, are you able to tell our listeners about the origins of Gamstop and how it all works? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you very much for including me in this podcast. Um, absolutely brilliant. We're really, really pleased to be a part of it. Uh, yeah, so Gamstop um, is uh, a company run by the National Online Self-Exclusion Scheme Limited. And um, uh, it was originally set up to take forward this requirement by the DCMS and by uh, the Gambling Commission to provide a national online self-exclusion scheme to run alongside um, the individual self-exclusion schemes that each of the many, many online operators um, in the UK had to provide to their customers. Previous to Gamstop, it was uh, part of the requirement of the license conditioning was um, for every single operator to have a self-exclusion scheme. And as you can imagine, that was very difficult for people. Um, if they wanted to self-exclude, they had to go through every single casino site and exclude um, individually. So Gamstop came along and uh, we are a self-exclusion scheme. So we are um, uh, excluding a person from um, online gambling, which means that um, somebody who registers with Gamstop has to give some details, uh, name, address, um, telephone number, all the details that they would also provide to uh, an operator when they were registering and, and um, 
uh, with that operator and um, we match the details together. So uh, all now, as of March the 31st this year, all UK licensed operators need to be part of GAMSTOP. So we cover every single UK licensed operator and um, therefore we provide this protection against online gambling for anybody that joins and at the moment I think today as of today we have 149,883 people who have registered with GAMSTOP. Thanks Katie that's amazing that and I can confirm that I am one of those people so that's good um, and uh, actually what you said there you know I years ago when I first started to exclude from certain um, gambling sites before I realized I had a big problem it was more just like oh I think I'll stop now and then I'd exclude from one then join another all that kind of stuff um, you know I regularly did that and there was nowhere for me to go and just self-exclude across the board um, although there was for me on land casino so that's what I did yeah. but um, then when I got back into kind of the addiction and I was getting worse and worse and I was in that terrible, terrible place, when I tried to self-exclude from some online casinos, it was very difficult because they tried to draw me back in to the online casino to then go through the self-exclusion. And in fact, one kind of I asked and then they came back to me and I asked for some free chips and they said, you've asked to self-exclude. And I said, well, let's not worry about that. Let's just carry on. And they let me, um, which, you know, is, is terrible. But actually... Had GAMSTOP been there at that time, or had I been aware of it at that time, um, I could have used it and it could have taken all that kind of issue away. So as I say, I'm a member now and I'm very thankful for that. Um, but all I'd like to say is whilst we appreciate that GAMSTOP can be used by a variety of different people, including those that may have just become a little concerned um, with like the time or the money that they are spending on gambling sites, and yet professing to be able to maintain a level of control. Um, however, for those that are thinking about or only just entering recovery and that are powerless to this gambling, just how important do you think this type of blocker is? Yeah, I, I totally relate to what you were saying there about the different sites and, and how it, it just was completely difficult for people to do that. And and, now, and that's why we've made our site very, very different from casino sites. It's really plain, it's very blue and it's very simple. I would say in answer to your question that um, putting that level of friction in place, so putting the blocker in place, and in our case it's self-exclusion, we would always, and I'm sure you're talking about other practical tools that are out there, we'd always suggest having other practical tools in place. But this is a really good start, but it's not, it is not um, the answer you know the answer is to get the help and support and uh, as I say I'm sure you're going to talk to other people about the amazing work that is being done in this area um, it is it, it, it's a really good first step it's we call we talk about it being um, part of your self-help toolkit um, it's a good way of putting that friction in place it's a critical friend it's a it's something that is there just to say um, do you know what? I've done that now. It's going to be harder for me to gamble. It's going to make it more difficult for me to do the, the thing that I want to do. It is not the silver bullet and we would never suggest that GAMSTOP alone can can tackle the issues. that It's so much more complicated than that. But we would certainly say it's a really good first step. No, thanks for that, Katie. That's true. And that's the way I look at it. And, you know, in my GA meetings and, and that kind of stuff and other peer aid support stuff that I do, that is the message that I give. You know, it's about putting different barriers in place and um, get those barriers in place. And that's where you can start a recovery journey from. 
Um, it isn't just right. about that. So, you know, people, I think, I think it's really important for our listeners to know, like, this is a barrier, but you can find ways past barriers unless you want to um, change, unless you want to recover. Um, but they are the most important thing to get in place first of all, whether that be, like you say, GAM stop, other things we're going to talk about, you know, handing over finances, all that kind of stuff. So I'm really, I'm really glad you said that, Katie. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's really, it's a, it's an important part of the, the awareness raising that we're doing, especially now since we've become mandatory. So we are more, you, you know, we're more comfortable in our position because we, we do protect against all UK licensed sites. And we would, we, you know, we like to work um, with the National Gambling Helpline as a telephone number to, to ring. We would always signpost to everybody. Well, as you'll know, because you've already registered, we try to signpost with uh, to other areas of support in that one moment, that critical moment when they've joined Gamstock, we need to make sure they have at their fingertips um, other, where, you know, the next steps, if you like, and other things that they can do. Everybody has a different journey and we would never suggest a definite route, but there are obviously lots of things that we can signpost to and we would, you know, we, we do. Hi, Katie. Um, it's really great to have you on the podcast. Um, I'm really excited to um, to speak to you. Um, I think it's just great that there's a service out there. Um, unfortunately, when my, my dad was around, this wasn't, Jamstop wasn't in place. And um, I think um, just self-exclusion was a bit more whimsy and um, transient, as in, I, I just remember that my dad would be on uh, an exclusion for a month or two. And it it was just it was just so easy for him to get around that and for him eventually to vi- convince or or just otherwise just join to the shop anyway and it wouldn't make a difference and I realise there's a difference between online um, exclusion and offline exclusion as in the betting shops. Um, as uh, some of our listeners might know, I'm more of a, a geeky statistics guy and so I just wanted to ask you more about um, the maths. You, you said 150,000 uh, already signed on and that just wow that that's a huge number and um and suggestive of a huge problem yeah it's a big number it's not quite 150,000 uh, uh for, for us statisticians we're thinking we'll get to that tomorrow we get we do have on average about 183 um people registering every single day so yes we will be uh, you know tweeting out the fact that we've got to 150,000 it's nothing particularly to be proud of but um, it is something that shows the prevalent you know what we do and 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 why you know why why we're here really because it obviously is um, helping a lot of people um, in this sphere people that want to say stop and we have um three you know three different time periods which i don't think i've mentioned yet which are uh p- that people can exclude for so we have six months one year and five years and and that gives those people um different opportunities to to um, block themselves for different times but um they would have to come back to us once that time period has finished to to remove them remove their exclusion so it isn't quite as you say in the past was quite uh, whimsy i think your word was which you know it was it was very different whereas we're trying to make it uh, really robust we understand that people may change their minds they might decide one minute they want to exclude and then of course the next day decide that they want to not exclude and, and that isn't really something that we can do because um, we make it very clear you know once you once you press that button you are excluded from online online gambling which we think is important because we know we understand that it can't be it can't be whimsy it has to be um 
robust and something that people can trust to do what it, what we want it to do. Absolutely, Katie. I think you're spot on. I think that's absolutely right. 150,000 or almost 150,000. Um, just to show how, how really important this is for a lot of people out there. I think uh, I, I still want to delve, delve a bit deeper into the stats and ask you what what is the breakdown of this 150,000 and what are the projections for the year ahead now that it's in, now Damstop is integrated with all of the operators? What are you expecting from the future? It's, it's a great question. It's something we obviously we, we look at internally. We are quite surprised at the 150,000 marker. Uh, we've been um, operational since April of 2018, so just over two years. Um, and I think we were expecting it to plateau um, a bit before this, but it hasn't yet. We, I would say, we, you know, we're not, we're not something that's going to grow and grow at this rate. I think we will get to a point where, um, bearing in mind that people, a lot of people register for five years, that is our our most sort of popular time um, period. So, for the statisticians amongst us, that would probably mean that we aren't going to have. You know the same level of growth, but but it, it isn't it isn't a known. I I can't answer it because I genuinely don't know, because I don't think we all any of us properly know how how big this pool is of people that will want to exclude. Thanks for that, Katie. And you've obviously gone through the different timescales there. I'm a five yearer, so um, you know. But I'd like to be I'd like to be more. I'd like to be more. Um, and I just wondered if there's any thought or thinking that you know maybe there'll be longer exclusion periods. Because if I could hit a lifetime exclusion, I would, because I know I can never gamble again. And I just wonder, you know, are you guys thinking about that? Could there be a change made so that somebody like myself never has to go and be tempted, ever sign up again to, you know, ever need to, I don't want any worry. I don't want any worry ever. Could you make that happen for me? Yeah, complete, completely understand that sentiment. We we do we do hear this. We have people say exactly the same thing. Um, we are looking at it. It's not something that we're we're not looking at. We, we, the five year period was chosen because it was part of the you know the framework. Um, there are there are potential challenges with making it uh, lifetime simply because lifetime is a is a very long period and and obviously the way we are op- the way we operate is on matching criteria so we are dependent on people keeping keeping the information up to date which they can do because you can obviously put your address in as you as you move house and um, change email addresses perhaps change mobile phone numbers but the whole idea of it being a lifetime one has has a little bit of limitation there and also uh, GDPR there's a few issues around that so it is something that we're looking at extending I will say though Chris you wouldn't come off automatically after the five years you have another seven years um, where you would still be on Gamstop unless you are asked us to remove yourself um, after that five-year period. I know it's not answering your question properly, but um, it isn't. It isn't a sort of a fall off the cliff after five years, and uh, and then you would be able, you know, automatically gamble. You, you do have to follow a process to come off. Um, but it is something we're looking at. Yes, is a short answer to your question. I think, well, I, I think I've mentioned that it is a free scheme. I hope I have. Um, uh, we are a non-profit, and we are do operate. At a, it is a free self-exclusion. So. Um, 
Oh, thanks for that, Kate. That's a really good answer for me. Thank you. Um, I think it's important uh, for our listeners to understand that not necessarily all, you know, close to 150,000 subscribers for GamStop are necessarily, uh, you know, addicted uh, to gambling. Um, you know, there are some people out there, and, and, and I know uh, a couple of people that have signed up for a shorter period of time, you know, it's because they wanted to put some money aside for, for a holiday and, uh, and the like. And for people like, you know, Chris and I, who, uh, you know, are... Um, you know, powerless to gambling, uh, you know, obviously a long-term subscription is is obviously very beneficial. Um, I've read a couple of points where, you know, where people have um, ended their subscription, it's come to a natural end that they're then struggling to sign up to sites that they may wish to play on. Now, that's not obviously me advocating that, you know, people go and play on sites, etc., um, given that we are a gambling addiction recovery podcast. Yeah, no, that, that's right. And you're absolutely right, Brian. We don't know exactly why people sign up and uh, anecdotally uh, we can uh, see that people say I just wanted to sign up to prevent myself from gambling for six months or just popped it on because I I felt like it I wanted to test it so absolutely Um, and yes we do get some some people coming back once their um, exclusion is removed so let's say they're on a six month um, exclusion when that finishes they can come back um into our help desk they come and uh remove the exclusion and then to all intents and purposes they should be able to then gamble with the um, operators that they want to gamble with either resuming the accounts they already had or setting new accounts up and in some cases um they have struggled to do that and they come back to us and we have a process whereby we confirm that they have um removed the exclusion to the operator so it tends to work in that way um, that um, in some cases we we do have to confirm that that they've been removed but in, in also in many cases it will just automatically they will be able to gamble again should they wish should they be in that category where the six month uh, ban w- was what they wanted brilliant um I, and, and and i guess uh, another question would be um whether you know the the answer to this i'm not sure but um obviously it's great now that obviously all the operators are, are signed up and you know they have to do that upon upon becoming a, a licensed operator um is it a slight concern that it's taken so long to get to that point yeah i mean we would have obviously we've been working hard and in in association with the gambling commission uh working with them to get to this point um and um you know we're just delighted that we are now and and i must say um even when we weren't a full licensed condition we did have the vast majority of um operators integrated with the scheme there weren't that many that um that came at the end, you know, the la- the final run, let's say between January and March of this year, most of them had already been integrated really from the beginning. Yeah, that's fantastic to hear. Um, I'm really glad that GamStop is, is coming about. And um, I-, I wanted to pick your brain while, while you're still here. I-, I, want- I wanted to know, given that the online um, sort of market or the gambling industry itself is, although it seems fragmented and there's so many different brands, they're essentially run by a few or not not so many companies and i wanted to know how difficult was was it to get to that um to get to where where you are today in terms of covering all of the companies was it a matter of reaching out to each brand separately um or you know working with each brand separately or was it a matter of dealing with the own company um that owns the gambling brands yeah i think um it's safe to say it's a really um huge tech project we've had to, to to do over the last two years because uh, you're right, there's um, 
there are quite a few holding companies, but we've been involved at operator level. So uh, I think we have 220 or 230 separate companies that we integrated separately, if you see what I mean. Now, some of those will have many sites within those companies, but still 230 odd companies to integrate in each separately with our scheme has been a technical challenge. You know, it really has. So um, it, it, we are we're not dealing with five different companies. There are many of them. That does that answer your question? Does absolutely. Thank you for that insight. No problem. Thanks for that, Katie. And lastly, can you tell our listeners that aren't currently using Gamstop, but who might be interested in doing so, on how they can find further information and sign up? Absolutely. Well reminded. If you can go to www.gamstop.co.uk, uh, the site is really clear. There's a register here button. You just press on that button. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, I have a little animation uh, that tells uh, your listeners a little bit more about uh, what Gamstop's all about. And if I could put a link in on your on your site for that, uh, guys, that would be great as well. 100% that is not a, not a problem with us well I, I really appreciate um, you know you coming on and it's uh, it's great to great to have you on I'm sure um, you know on behalf of all the team you know we wish you well and uh, and hopefully you get a few more signups get past that 150,000 I'm sure by the time this goes live you will have uh, certainly got there yeah well thank you very much for having me it's been really really good to talk to you and thank you for your podcast I think they're absolutely brilliant Uh, we've now been joined by Josh Munn, who works as a CBT therapist, mainly working with anxiety and depression. Uh, welcome to the show, Josh. Really appreciate you coming on. Now, a few weeks back, we were joined by two of the creators of the Recover Me app, and they spoke about CBT. Can you just remind our listeners what cognitive behavioral therapy is and how it can be applied to treating problem gambling? Of course. Um, thank you for having me as well. Um, so cognitive behavioural therapy is a form of talking therapy that's basically based on the idea that the way we think affects the way we feel and this affects what we do. The link between our thoughts, feelings and behaviours. In terms of problem gambling, cognitive behavioural therapy can help sort of individuals to sort of recognise and challenge thoughts that might be attached to gambling. So for example, it can be really common when we are gambling to sometimes sort of overestimate the chances of winning. So cognitive behavioural therapy can sort of help people to sort of recognise their thoughts and help them to recognise if their thoughts are falling into what we call unhelpful thinking style. So, for example, also common for people to sort of attribute their wins to skills and losses to luck. It's like we can fall into this all or nothing type of thinking. We can also sometimes feel like we're predicting the future. So like feeling like we're going to win next time. And so I guess cognitive therapy can really help people to increase their awareness of sort of what we call automatic gambling thoughts. And so it really helps people to become more mindful of the thoughts that might be sort of triggering gambling behaviours. And um, so are there any other strategies uh, that you can recommend for a recovering gambling addict? One of the best ones is um, a bit of a, what we call a gambling diary. So this can help people to really sort of identify sort of triggers related to gambling. What would go into sort of a gambling diary would be sort of the day sort of time when you when you did sort of 
um, engage in sort of any form of gambling. Where you was gambling, so for example, was it in a local bookmakers or was it in a casino? You also record who you was with, so whether it was with like friends, a family member or by yourself. You fill in sort of what you use, so was it like you went in to bet on the football, was it you sort of you had a horse racing bet or did you go on sort of the slot machine? Um, and then you can record as well sort of the amount of money you spent if you did wish to. And then in the last column, sort of, you can record sort of how you felt before you engaged in that gambling behaviour. It might be sort of before you put that bit on, you felt sort of quite excited, you sort of had a bit of a rush. And then afterwards, you might find that you felt sort of maybe more, more low in mood or sort of more stressed out. It helps people to recognise sort of the big difference between sort of their moods and sort of before and after. It also helps people to recognise sort of any patterns or, or triggers because another way to help with that is to help people to rebuild associations. Um, example, you might get an association where you associate sort of Saturday afternoons with going in and putting a bet on. So what what this can do is help people to recognise, is there any particular patterns? And then look at how they can rebuild those types of associations. Like say, for example, on a Saturday, you've got into the habit of having a bet sort of every Saturday at 12pm. Brain can get accustomed to this and it becomes a bit like a habit. By keeping a gambling diary, it can help people to reform these habits and develop sort of new and more helpful associations. Yes, I hope that sort of makes sense. Hi, Josh, Chris here. Anxiety and depression are common amongst disordered gamblers, both pre and post recovery, especially in the early days of recovery. I'd hasten to guess more so whilst actively gambling though, um, can you try and explain the reasons as to why this is? Definitely, that's a really good question. Anxiety tends to be sort of what we call a future-orientated problem that's sort of really heavily influenced by certain pat patterns of thinking. Like if we merely anticipate that something bad will happen or something could go wrong, anxiety tends to follow. You can see how this might fit with worrying about losing, financial worries, worrying about the consequences of maybe not winning a bet, worrying about sort of the implications of, of betting. And this can really sort of increase our anxiety. And if you think about it, even like while we've got a bet on, we might start to feel anxious because we're feeling very apprehensive about the outcome. And, and we know that the way we think also affects how we feel sort of physically. Um, so these worrying thoughts can trigger like this sort of fight or flight response in the body where we can sort of feel quite tense, our heart might start beating faster. And this sort of physiological response can really sort of ramp up um, anxiety as well. Sometimes for some people it can start as a bit of a solution, which then becomes a problem. Because sometimes we might actually start gambling as a way of sort of masking over sort of our anxiety to sort of try to block it out. But then sometimes we find that it actually can increase our anxiety in the long run. That's sort of the anxiety side. So in terms of depression, again, with depression, it can affect people in many different ways. I guess some of the um, signs of depression are sort of um, feeling quite low, feeling bad about yourself and not wanting to do things. We can sometimes notice an increase in negative experiences and a decrease in positive experiences. And, and depression can be associated with dropping activity, um, a lack of motivation to do the things that we, we used to do. We can find that sometimes people might start out gambling as a, again as a way of sort of masking their depression and to try to find sort of a solution to depression to maybe not feel as depressed. What we can find with, with gambling is that it can often increase feelings of depression because it's it's really common to maybe feel guilty um, after sort of gambling. Um, and again, depression can be characterized by negative thoughts we hold about ourselves we then might start to become quite self-critical. And for example, we might start to put ourselves down for the fact that we did gamble, which then sort of feeds back into that whole depressive loop. And, and again, 
after gambling, we might not feel like spending time with family. We, we can sometimes feel quite hopeless and helpless, which further compounds those feelings of depression and keeps us stuck in that sort of depression cycle. And another reason, I guess, with depression is that depression can be characterised by something we call rumination. Rumination is basically where we sort of chew over things and dwell on things from the past and sometimes ask lots of why questions. And again, we can see how this might be sort of common in, in gambling. So like, for example, ruminating about past mistakes. Why did I go and put that bet on? Why did I do this? And, and sort of blaming ourselves for, for sort of gambling. Again, also as well, gambling can sometimes lead to us maybe withdrawing from the world around us and can sort of sometimes make us feel very isolated. Um, often we're feeling quite depressed, can report feeling very lonely. And, and we know that this can really perpetuate the feelings of depression. We can move away from sort of living a meaningful life and, and one that's maybe in line with our values to maybe living a life that's very different, which again can really feed back into those feelings of depression. So, for example, we might spend less time doing the things that we truly value because of the gambling. We might be preoccupied with, with the gambling and not be in the present moment. And therefore, it makes it really difficult to sort of process what's going on in the world in front of us. So like we might miss out on positive experiences. We might find that we're in our heads a lot more, which can again can really feed back into that whole sort of depressive cycle. Um, yeah, thanks for that, Josh. I, th- I thought that was really insightful how you put it. And uh, and um, so, yeah, for my for my question, uh, I'd like to ask you if you could uh, share with our listeners some some tips on, on well-being and some that might be particularly relevant given the COVID and lockdown scenario. Mm, yeah, a really good question. I think one one tip that I follow myself and I recommend to everyone is try to stay connected um, try to stay in touch with friends and family in a way that sort of really works for you. Um, I know sort of we're still sort of in that sort of lockdown period. We're, we're sort of coming out of it now. Even if it means staying connected over the phone, social media or video chat, and staying connected with other people can can really help with our well-being. And also engaging in what we call mood boosting activities can can help as well with our well-being. And this is actually backed up by the science. They found that sort of three types of activities have been proven to sort of lift our mood. And these three types of activities are ones that give us a sense of pleasure, ones that can give us a sense of achievement, ones where we sort of overcome avoidance. And we can sort of really build on this by sort of connecting what we do day to day with our values. We can sort of try to live sort of a more meaningful life. And also keeping up daily routines is particularly important, um, especially given the situation we find ourselves in at the moment. During this whole sort of um, coronavirus pandemic, we're, we're filled with uncertainty, not knowing what's going to happen next. And so one way of sort of being able to um, make ourselves sort of feel a little more certain is to keep sort of a routine so we can get day to day routines with whether that's like exercise um, having our meals at a certain time. And that can really help with well-being. And building on that as well, um, keeping active is a big part of well-being. So building physical activity into our daily routine can really help um, if possible. Exercising at home can be simple and there's options for sort of most ages and abilities um, to stay active at home. This could even involve like cleaning room, dancing to music, going up and down stairs. And there's lots of um, online workouts now that are free that you can access. Another well-being strategy as well is... Um, to bring sort of nature into your everyday and because this can sort of benefit both your mental and physical well-being um it can help improve your mood it can sometimes reduce feelings of stress and anger can help to make you um feel more relaxed and again sort of building on that 
it can be really helpful to take notice of everything around you while you are out or while you are engaged in activities. Try to explore sort of local area or when you are sort of going for a walk or, or exercising, just trying to be as present as you can, taking in your surroundings. And you never know, you might find something that you never knew was there before. And relaxation techniques as well can um, help with our overall well-being. Often people wait until they feel sort of very anxious until they implement sort of relaxation strategies into their life. I mean, the way I see that is it's a bit like um, up for a marathon and then expecting to run it without doing any training. Um, and it can be actually really helpful to get sort of relaxation techniques into our day-to-day life, even when we might not fe- be feeling as stressed and anxious. And the two main relaxation techniques that I tend to recommend to people is one, which is called deep abdominal breathing, which is basically belly breathing. So where we actually breathe through our stomach and say so where we want to sort of slow down our rate of breath, because often when we feel anxious, we tend to over breathe which then can lead to sort of the side effects of feeling quite dizzy. What we want to do when we're practicing um, abdominal breathing is to slow down our rate of breath and to try to breathe through our stomach rather than our chest. And then also the second relaxation technique I tend to um, recommend is progressive muscle relaxation. And if you put this into YouTube, there's lots of free audios that you can find. Basically what this strategy is, it's where you tense different muscle groups and then release that tension. Because when we're feeling quite stressed, we, we can't recognize the difference between feeling tense and feeling relaxed because it comes a bit of the norm. Progressive muscle relaxation or PMR can be really helpful for that. Um, so another technique that I like, and this is one that I use sort of day to day and can be really powerful, is what we call worry management or worry awareness training. It's basically where we become more aware of the worries that we're having. When we're having a worry, key is to first notice that we're having a worry, but then to ask a really important question. That question being, is there anything I can do about this worry? If it says yes, this means this is a practical worry. These are worries that we can physically go and do something about. So what we want to do with those types of worries is to take action. If we can't take action there and then, make a plan. For example, if I'm worrying about paying a bill, this is a practical worry because there are things I can do about that. So what we want to do is try to take action. Second type of worry, and these tend to be the worries that catch people out more and tend to make us feel a lot more anxious. These are hypothetical worries. These are worries where we can't actually do anything about them. I'll give an example of myself. For example, before coming onto this podcast, the worry came into my mind. Um, what if I mess up or um, what if I can't get my words out properly? It was a hypothetical worry because no matter how much I sort of planned for it, there wasn't much I could do about it beforehand. But what I practiced with that is noticing that I was having that hypothetical worry. And then I refocused my attention onto something else, i.e. sort of get myself a, a sort of glass of water before the, um, before the podcast. We can really get caught up into these hypothetical worries because there is nothing we can do about them. So we end up worrying about them more and more. I guess the key with that is to sort of try to practice letting go of those types of worries if we can. Uh, thanks for that, Josh. Uh, no need for the hypothetical worry because you came across really, really strong. Uh, really appreciate you taking time out of your day to come and chat to us. Uh, plenty there for our listeners to chew over. And I know on a personal level, there was plenty, you know, when you're talking about the anxiety and the depression, you know, there's a lot of feelings that I could re- relate there. And uh, certainly uh, after long gambling sessions and uh, how I felt afterwards, the guilt and, and so forth. Uh, I'm sure I can speak on behalf of the whole team in wishing you all the best for the future.
thanks for that, Josh. Uh, brilliant well-being tips there for our listeners. Uh, guys, uh, that's pretty much a wrap for the first part of our season finale. Um, what have you made of it? Yep, another fantastic episode here, I think, and um, just like um, every other, to be honest, but this time with four guests, and so I know I'm going to have a lot of fun editing um, and going through the whole episode many, many times. Wow, um, what a fantastic person Jamie is. His story is incredible, and the way he just delivers um, his story from um, from his perspective in such a powerful way. I think it's very courageous, first of all, and I applaud him for that, but also I can see a lot of merit behind it. I think his voice is going to help make a lot of change, and I, I'm really, really grateful for that, and I'm grateful for what he, what he does, and, and I'm sure a lot of people out there are, because um, not everyone can can be a hero and talk about their experience as uh, publicly as Jamie does, and has as much as he does, so that's great. Um, and then I guess that leads me on to Bernie. Um, Bernie's been doing... Um, Gamblers Anonymous for a long time 46 years I think you said Um, that's you know I I can't wait for him to hit 50 that's gonna be a milestone I hope he celebrates in fashion and wow so 50 years of working with other people and helping other people recover um, and helping himself as well and that's an important part of recovery isn't it and um, I guess I think what I'm trying to allude to here is, is there is a remarkable shared characteristic in both Bernie and Jamie um, in that they're both fantastic incredible characters and moral characters both very hard working and both very dedicated for what they believe in and i think um you know often gamblers get a bad rep but honestly have a look at what the people are like on this podcast you, you'll see a different um side to gamblers entirely um and i, I think that was really shown through with bernie and jamie today um and then moving on to um katie from gamstop i'm i'm still uh, baffled and almost um, surprised by the numbers, huge numbers, almost 150,000 signed up online for online self-exclusion. I think it really goes to show that there are a lot of people out there who are suffering and often we uh, may to think that our individual story is unique and you know the majority of people are, are fine but um, we, we are one of the few exceptions but it's not that we are the few or, uh, or that gamblers in recovery are of the few. Um, it's actually of there's plenty and there's many um, and I think that's a narrative that needs changing so I'm really glad that these numbers are starting to come out because it it's not us that are crazy and then lastly Josh I think Josh delivered an excellent piece of CBT tips and tricks um, I personally have loved it I've made lots of little notes and I hope other people have done have done the same um, I'll be sharing what I've learned with other people over the next few weeks probably months and maybe years I think Josh did an absolute fantastic job and I, I really commend him for that. Um, I hope that I can get to his skill level in, in sort of that aspect of treatment at one point in my career. Thanks for that, Kish. Thanks for that, Ryan. Um, I've really enjoyed today's episode. Um, I think it's really important that we kind of show our listeners um, the kind of way through recovery, I suppose. Um, it was so interesting having Jamie on at the start, somebody who's right at the start of their recovery. Not only at the start of their recovery, though, somebody who's speaking out. Um, he's doing unbelievable stuff out there in Northern Ireland, setting up um, Problem Gam NI. Um, absolutely incredible. You know, what, what a great guy. And he's really getting out there, um, trying to educate other people. And, I, you know, I think he's going to be really, really powerful. I think it's going to help a lot of people. But I think he's helping himself by helping a lot of other people. Um, and obviously he touched on going to GA rooms and then we had Bernie on next and Bernie's just a fantastic character. Um, 
And what is really, really nice is this episode is going out on Thursday and this Thursday will be the first day that we go back to our GA room for a physical meeting. So I'll actually be able to see Bernie on that day as well as all the other guys and girls. And, you know, I'm really looking forward to that because all through this lockdown, the whole time we've been doing um, this podcast, all of my GA meetings have been online via Zoom. um, And it's been fantastic to keep in touch that way. But it's not quite the same as getting in a room and actually meeting people, as us three know, because we met the other day in Hyde Park. And, you know, that was the first time, you know, and how fantastic was that? Um, Kish wasn't as good at football as I thought he'd be. Um, And he also looked a lot younger than he does when I see him on these videos as well. Um, But no, Bernie's a great character and GA is just an unbelievable fellowship for people like me um but what i loved as well was the way we talked about gammonon and he mentioned how gammonon is just as important as ga and i totally echo what he said there um it's so important for family members and then obviously katie from gamstop you know once you decide you want to be in recovery you've got to put some barriers in place you've got to get some friction there you've got to stop yourself from being able to gamble that's the first thing isn't it you know stop yourself from being able to gamble and then after that you make that change you make that change as a person you make that change to make sure that never again are you going to gamble but in those early stages and later on as well you know you still want them there but in those early stages especially you can have those thoughts that come in your head those thoughts that can make you think do you know what a fiver here it's not going to hurt it bloody well will hurt um so you don't do it and that's why gam stop is so important um and there are other things out there as well that do the same kind of stuff and we'll touch on some of that in the second part of this episode actually um so really really important and then what i love is you know we've spoken to josh and there's some real practical stuff there some really good stuff you know we're talking about that change and how you how you deal with things well he's talking about the cbt side of things i think he was talking about um diaries all that kind of stuff you know you you're really thinking about what you're doing and you weren't thinking about that when you were gambling. You were just in a big bubble. Um, and, you know, I think I just think all four of our guests this week have been absolutely fantastic. Um, they've given me a lot to think about, all of them. Um, and you know what? I can't wait to talk to the four people next week as well. I think it's going to be a fantastic end to the series. Thank you for that, Chris and Kish. I guess you could consider this uh, a sort of mini handbook for recovery. Of course, there are plenty of other charities and support services out there, it must be said, but there's only so many that we can fit onto the show. Um, Coming up next week, uh, we have five guests. So we actually trump what we had this week. And uh, so join us next time where we have Matt Gaskell from the Northern Gambling Clinics, Rob Mabbitt from Gordon Moody, Natalie Ledwood from Monzo to talk about finances, and Ed Stoner from Now We Win to understand how fitness be linked to mental health and recovery and lastly we'll have jack simmons the co-founder of gamban uh, to talk about uh, something very exciting for us so we'll we'll leave that there a little uh, a little uh, indication of what's to come See you next time for part two of the season finale thank you and goodbye mm-hmm.